Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We'd ask that we would hold our lives in front of it. In your son's name, amen. I was sitting on somewhere, my library this morning, looking at the text and uh, had accidentally opened to Acts 13. And Acts 13, I was thinking, well, there's no way there's a sermon in Acts 13. I mean, there's some good stories of this first missionary journey of Paul. So I was reading this section on Elymas the Magician, Simon Bar-Jesus. Um, um, and uh, as I looked at it, I'd been in a conversation earlier this week on uh, the book of Jude, on the nature of false teachers. And as I had, so I've been thinking about this concept, or, or sort of how do I, if you're not in the business of being a false um, teacher, or you know, sort of being a cult buster, writing Walter Martin, Kingdom of the Cults, or something like that, what what does this have to do with you? Um, and I'm not here to recommend that, that it has anything like that to do with you. But what's amazing is Paul's handling of uh, Bar-Jesus. And something jumped out about this circumstance. I was in in a counseling situation this week where what I could only describe as the truculence of the client that recommending righteousness, recommending making himself right with God was you could see the the stiffening the resentment the resistance to this recommendation have you ever either felt that or known somebody you talked to who just did not did not did not want the righteousness of God so being sent out by the Holy Spirit They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, in introducing the passage this way. This is Paul and Barnabas sent out by the church in Antioch. I wish the back wall here was a map of the Middle East, but it is not. I, don't, I was looking at it trying to figure out what you could imagine as the coast of Syria, but uh, you can't. But let's say you had a map in the back of your Bible. Let's say you brought your Bible. I don't know what to do. I think a laser project. Oh, she's everybody. Go over to Charlene and look over her shoulder. She will. She will show you. Uh, it's in color too. Uh, well, nonetheless, Antioch is inland on the Syrian coast, on the Orontes River, and the early church was founded there. Christians first were called Christians in Antioch, and they sent out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, what we call the first missionary journey. Um, John Mark, this is not John the Apostle, but John Mark, um, uh, went with them. And I wanted to read up to that point, verse 6. They came upon a certain magician. 
a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. We don't know Bar meaning son of, son of Jesus, whether that was his, his dad's name was Heshua or whether he was trying to get some professional traction after claiming to be um, the son of the Messiah, the son of Jesus. We don't know that. It doesn't tell us. But he's a false prophet. He's a magician. Let's you know that this passage is about the magician. That's who they come upon. Because it is natural for us in the next verse, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the words of God. But it introduced the passage with Paul and Barnabas running into the magician. So they sail from Seleucia, which is the coastal um, city for a port for Antioch, across to Cyprus, imagine Cyprus, Salamis is on the eastern end of Cyprus. They go across land to Paphos, um, which is a port on the western end of Cyprus. That's where this event happens. A proconsul, by the way, is uh, another word for governor. Uh, traditionally, it was those who had been councils of Rome. Rome during the Republic was ruled by the executive branch was uh, the collegality of council, which there are two councils uh, each year. It was a one-year appointment, and they ran the military. They were the, the generals that would go out and fight whatever war was current. And when you were done with being a pro-council, you got a pro-councillor ship um, because it means in place of council. So when you didn't have enough councils with two, it was nice to have pro-councils out there. And eventually it became such a, a term that we would just use for any governor, even if they hadn't been um, a, a council. We don't know that Sergius Paulus, we do have evidence for Sergius Paulus um, during the reign of uh, Claudius. Um, and we have some inscriptions on Cyprus of a, of a proconsul named Paulos with an O on the end. And they think it might be him. And there's another Sergius Paulus in Antioch or Pisidia that might be his son. So we, we have this guy as, you might, you might say, authenticated somewhat in Roman history. Um, and it's not, you're not going home going, it's good to know what a proconsul is. I hope that you will pick up the spiritual application rather than, than the, uh, where was Paphos? But I want you to think, it's about the magician. It's about Paul's encounter with the magician. Now, Sergius Paulus is a player in this. He's a man of intelligence. Interesting description. And I put in bold and red two things. He summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. That's the, sort of the tension that is set up. These two men are together, the proconsul and the magician. Paul is dealing with them both, and Paul and Barnabas are encountering them both in the same moment. One of them is intelligent and intrigued. And he's pursuing this message that is being preached by Barnabas and Saul. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, and Elymas just means wise man, I think, withstood them, seeking to turn away the proconsul from the faith. As I was thinking of this guy, I had I was in a counseling situation this week, 
and the resistance. I don't just think it's like people like uh, uh, Bar Jesus who keep others from believing in Jesus Christ. Part of it is that. They have a reason for doing that. But it's also, the, you might say, the, the small uh, change resistance against God who doesn't, want, who doesn't want what you say to be true. Has it ever surprised you when you say such wonderful things about the Christian life <coughs> that they don't want it to be true? What, wouldn't they want it to be true? I mean, my gosh, you're, you're talking about forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Of course you would want it to be true. You could promise them anything else. In this religion, everyone wins the lottery. Oh, I want to be a part of that religion. I at least want it to be true. I don't want it to be true. The forgiveness of sins, life eternal, the goodness of life, the joy of the believer, love, all sorts of things has a, has a price. I was talking to this gentleman this week about it, about the nature of bowing the knee. That faith that understands the gospel isn't faith that leads to salvation until the story that you just believed requires of you that you fall to your knees and call on the name of the Lord. Because you know it's true that he is going to judge the living and the dead, that he's offering you forgiveness of sins because of the death of his son, and of course you would fall to your knees. If you believe in it as a story that's like Santa, and you, or you believe in it like you believe in Abraham Lincoln, but really Abraham Lincoln has nothing to do with you, um, that's not salvific faith. That's not something that is moving you to do the work of faith that uh, James is referring to. We are in a situation where our God and our Christ have offered such good things, but at the end received on your knees, that someone like uh, Elemus the magician really actually does not want that to be. That is the thing they don't want. If they could offer you the gift, or remember the other magician earlier in Acts, Simon, um, Simon Magus? He's amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit being given by the apostles, and he comes up to them and says, hey, how much money? How much do I have to pay you to figure out how to do this trick? He was happy for the, you might say, the content of the gift, as long as it was from him. He didn't want the gift if it wasn't from him. He didn't want the gift if it wasn't raising his professional standing as a magical worker in, in Palestine. This is a question, this false teacher, this false teacher, in their resistance to God, wants to turn everything against the gospel, everything against the Christ. He withstood them. Look at what, he, what the proconsul did. He summoned and sought. The magician withstood them and sought to turn away. But 
but Saul, who is also called Paul. This passage alone, this paragraph here, uh, Lord Jesus, who is also called Elymas the Magician, that's his real name, and there's a proconsul named Sergius Paulus, and then there's Saul and Barnabas, but we're also calling Saul Paul. You're welcome. This is the place where the, the, the narrative in Acts shifts to the usage of the name Paul, for no reason other than it was another name for Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, note that, looked intently at him, if you can imagine the conversational interview room of a, the praetorium for a Roman governor, you son of the devil, how to make friends and influence people. Um, I, was, I got the privilege of being in a situation much like this. I got to watch it go down. A couple of old ladies, Blue Hair Club, had come into the bookstore. This is back early days, Jim, of 70, might have been 74 or something like that, 75. And they were members of a cult that believed they had a photograph of Jesus. And they showed the photograph, showed my father the photograph. He asked them to sit down and share with him the, their enlightenment. And so they went on and on and on about what this photograph meant. At the end, he said, well, you know what, ladies, you want to know what I think? And they remember, they're about 70, 75. He said, I think you're tools of Satan. They didn't take it well. You son of the devil. You enemy of righteousness. Full of deceit and villainy. In case you were wondering what I meant by son of the devil. You are an enemy of righteousness. Full of all deceit and villainy. The insults never stop coming. Remember, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's looking at him intently and just shoveling it on him. Now here on the left-hand side, I have a verse out of 1 John. By this it may be seen, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God nor he who does not love his neighbor. Those are the children of the devil. You child of the devil. You enemy of righteousness, because that's what makes somebody the child of the devil. Not in some red suit, you know, pitchfork sort of way. Not sort of, oh, he's tempting me really badly. But you serve that kind of notion. The service of the self. I don't know really what caused Satan to fall like lightning from heaven. He seemed to not get along with God. It's amazing. Whatever it was, he had to set his will as superior to God's. Having dwelt in heaven, having fellowshiped with God for millennia, or been chummy enough to have conversations down through history, and yet he had to be thrown from heaven. To be a son of the devil, you have to be an enemy of righteousness. And righteousness is not your plan for a good life. It's God's plan for a good life. 
doing right, loving your neighbor, those are things that are children the children of God do. Children of the devil don't. And in order to maintain, in order to maintain the, your status, the resistance, you have to be an enemy of good. Have you noticed in this society and in this culture how much mockery is leveled against good? Things that you thought like a decade ago you could speak of with applause and you might you, you suspect now that I would be put in jail. Some of you work for the university. Some of you know what the word on the street is. But if you were to say this unrighteousness is the work of the devil charges might be brought up against you. Might not, it might not stick. You might not go to jail. Would you ever have thought it would have gotten to this? It's because they have to. They're enemies of the good. <coughs> and you have to, it says, full of deceit and villainy. When you're an enemy of the good, all bets are off. Okay? When somebody is an atheist, when somebody says, I don't believe in God, um, first off, they go, uh, no, we could be good without God. Yeah, but yet you decide not to be. <laughs> That's the, how it's amazing how good you're not. And how many duplicitous paths you take, they won't be honest. It's a bentness. They serve antagonism to all that is good. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? They try to turn it so people don't understand. They try to, you know perfectly well, they will try to um, assume what they know is not the case about you. I mean, this happens probably in all sorts of arguments where you accuse the person that you're arguing with of an extreme version of what you know they don't believe. But you could try to make their words sound like that. So that if you uh, voted for Ronald Reagan, you're a racist. Somehow you ended up being a racist. You have to also, one of the problems with being bent is you need your world to be bent. Because even the wicked person who loves their own way and their own version of righteousness, their own value of the world, they feel guilty because they're objectively guilty. So they're still trying in their religion to absolve themselves of that guilt somehow. Well, they can't just go, I am the ruler of the universe and I will absolve myself of the guilt. They think that all the guilt is present because people disagree with them. So if a person is a homosexual, they think that the problem is that people think that homosexuality is sin, so we must make them stop thinking that. So we have to bend the natural world I, to, 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 to somehow make a justification by a democratic vote. Well, most of us now think it's okay, so I can feel better about myself. Somebody, was it, uh, was it you or, or Mark, read uh, something from the 
American Society of Pediatrics that just issued a statement that transsexualness is child abuse. When the people are pushing children to not defi define themselves vaguely, like a lot of treadly parents are doing, it's child abuse. But they have to do it. They have to bend everyone to the wickedness. More, got to recruit more people to the evil. And don't think they can't do it. There are times in history when the wickedness has gotten that bad. Well, look at before the flood. Every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Don't think it can. We're capable. We're very capable. But they're doing it to make their sin natural and normal. This is what people do. Now they're doing this either to stop you or stop themselves. But they've got a purpose in mind. It's not merely, oh, I believe something else and therefore we have a difference of opinion. It's like a theological argument with a Hindu. No. Somewhere, I like what my father says, I don't ever talk to Mormons. I talk to non-Christians. I don't talk to Hindus, I talk to non-Christians. They're all non-Christians. And underneath the surface, though all those belief systems, all those arguments, whether it's atheism, agnosticism, or another religion, it's an attempt of a non-Christian to bend their life to their own way. Because they're sons of the devil. Not in a way that you look at a, you know, a, a friend of yours that may be a Buddhist and and uh, I had a, a Buddhist a friend a few years ago that I was talking to him. It wasn't that I, I looked at him and I could just imagine the horns growing out of his head in some sort of uh, twisted, they're just agents of hell. No, they're just very, very received people. But they are children of the world they serve. They're children of the lords they serve. And when you serve yourself, when you do not serve the righteousness of God, whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, whatever it is you choose to identify yourself at, if you're an enemy of righteousness, you're a child of the devil. And you're going to try, you're going to try to make things worse so that righteousness will not succeed. Maybe you saw it in your kids at some point when they were little. They, when they, you might say their sinfulness is so honest. When you try to drag the whole situation down, you're a little disobedient kid, you're going to try to take your brothers and sisters with you. You're, you're, you're going to get a spanking, everyone's getting a spanking. <laughs> or I'm just going to make this such a calamity. You see it when kids are toddlers, when they, when they don't, when they really need to be, you know, paddled into the next county. But they, they figured, I'm just going to, I'm just going to push the nuclear button at this point. Yeah, it's a restaurant. That'll work. It's just terrorism. Trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Trying to take good and make it worse. Because I can hide my sin in the worse. I can justify my sin in the presence of the worse. Now, this is, for us, I'm talking to a bunch of Christians who are at church on a Sunday morning, so I'm assuming that, that you guys actually want righteousness. But we want to need to know how to look at this world, and we're going to encounter people like Bar-Jesus here, 
sometime in our lives, either in a counseling moment or in a child or in, a, in an, a, an actual opponent to Christianity, we have to realize that the enemies of good, the dishonesty, the villainy, the bentness, the, 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 the evangelical nature, when he talks about Matthew somewhere, about the Pharisees who go the world over to make a proselyte to make them twice as fit for hell as they are themselves. They're very evangelistic. They want to make it happen. They need to have it happen. We're trying to serve the kingdom of God by being evangelistic. We'd like to see more people go to heaven. They need to create the heaven and then they need to populate it. And you being in it is part of the creation of their heaven. But in that world, when they're that way, there is no way to be sure you could change them. There's no certain argument that will turn them aside from their way. He's looking spirit-inspired intently at this guy going, you're just really bad, aren't you? So therefore, and now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. That's the other thing they are. If it's repentance, if they're not really being drawn, some people have an and you might say, an antagonism towards you and your faith preached, and it's really the last stop before they believe. You know, the last stop before they give in. The loudest voice, you know, shaking their fist at heaven, and then they fall on their knees and repent. But a lot of people, when they are not at that stage, be prepared for them to be blinded. If you want to see this, this is physical blindness for Elemas. But they're going to be blind. Jesus Christ taught it this way, that if you don't have what you have, will be taken away. You will not see. You will not understand. They have closed their eyes. They have stopped their ears. So that they, they would not turn for me to heal them. That's, his, that's the reality we live in. We want to be sure that we, more like the proconsul, verse 12, than the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When the teaching of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith comes to you, you are either the kind of person that drops back into a defensive posture and goes, no, I'm not doing it. I can remember in a Southern Baptist church in Annapolis, Maryland, white-knuckling it on the uh, railing up in the balcony to keep myself from going forward. Okay? Because Baptists, they always have you go forward. I, I hung on. I mean, and I managed to survive until we moved out of town. In which case, I think uh, it was made easy for me in a general Baptist church because they didn't do that sort of thing. And uh, they just had our family switch membership to their church. And then I got baptized just because of a bureaucratic paperwork. And uh, I never had to walk the aisle. But I can remember hanging on. People don't want to serve the living God. You don't think you're that bent. But, but what, why would you not bow the knee before the righteous? Why would you not accept forgiveness of sins and life eternal? 
The proconsul believed. He, he could not deny it. He was an intelligent man who was astonished at what the message was. But religion is a place, especially a place, like a false prophet, a Jewish false prophet like Elymas, a magician who doesn't want to have it done God's way, isn't there prophesying things for God, he is following himself. The rest of this passage is out of Jude. And I've been in a conversation on the book uh, this week where we were talking about this issue. As a quote, most of the way down, well, that, that centered section right there in verse 12. But I realized that the whole book is about people in the church who are like Elymas the Magician. For admission has been secretly gained by some who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly persons who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The whole book is about these false teachers, those guys right there, who pervert the grace into license, in other words, permission to sin, and start to minimize Jesus Christ. So it is no longer, just like with Elymas, he was an enemy of righteousness. These false teachers were enemies of righteousness. They're going to find a way to allow them to do more than a Christian knows he should do. Whether it's drunkenness, theft, lying, sexual immorality, whatever. You know, pick, take your pick. Get a list of the scriptures. They want to make room for that because that's where they want to be, they want to be in charge of what is enjoyed and done in life. They don't want God to be in charge. They are sons of the devil because that was the devil's problem. He wanted to be in charge of how the universe was defined righteously. They secretly sneak in. Jumping down to verse 8, that was verse 4. Verse 8, yet in like manner these men in their dreamings defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile the glorious ones. Then it describes them. These are blemishes on your love feasts. That's what they'd call, what we call potlucks, I guess. And when you think of a potluck, which sort of says, you're taking your life in your own hands. You know, luck, you know. There's a pot, how lucky do you feel? If you thought of them as love feasts instead, he says, I better produce much. Next time we have a potluck, give yourself, give it your all. Don't tempt the rest of us, it's not that funny. Blemishes on your love feasts as they boldly carouse together. Because that's it. They're evangelizing. They're making the cool kids club about those who can, you know, do whatever they do. Looking, bolded here, looking after themselves. I 
And you ask yourself, am I a blemish on the love feast? Am I looking after myself? Waterless clouds carried along by winds. Uh, yesterday when it said 20% chance of rain, we were driving through that the spitting. The clouds were just going... And I was saying to Leslie, you know, it's like 20% chance. It's a 20% rain. You know, it's a... Uh, it's not trying. These clouds are waterless. That's the, you, when you haven't had rain, how long was it? Does anybody know? Since we had rain? Well, we're grateful this morning. Two months. Two months. Seattle's in a similar situation right now, I think. Um, and it rains there all the time. We know what that feels like, a, 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 you know, dry thunder. But come on, it's supposed to rain. These people don't produce what they promise. Carried along by winds. It said, was it carried about by every wind of doctrine? You ever know somebody, they, they tend, just like the person who is a glutard, um, they believe everything. They believe everything that's handed out next theologically. Um, the Passions emailed a website of a church in Boise to Gunn last night, and it actually used authentic and community in their first paragraph. Twice authentic. Those people should be hunted down and shot. Okay, just in the leg. But you want to shoot them someplace else? Authentic. Sorry. Carried along by winds. People who are out there serving themselves, they're just peace. They're just cobbling this together out of their own intelligence, out of their own idea. You ever surprised why there are socialists in the world? So you go, can't you do math? Can't you understand how things work? I hope I didn't offend any of you socialists out here. Because you're welcome. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. It's like Jude's getting some traction here. I'm going to do this poetically. I'm going to lay into people. You are nobodies. You are just like Paul with the enemy of righteousness, son of the devil, full of deceit and villainy. Jude is all poetic about it. Waterless clouds carried about by winds. All that they leave on the shore of life is a little bit of foam. Wandering stars for whom the nether gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. And it is not only that they are blind, they will be put in a dark place. This, you know, this, is, this is God's view. Jude is the Lord's brother, by the way. Jude is Jesus Christ's brother. I don't know what rank you have in Christianity. I think Jude's a little bit. He's not one of the apostles, but he's the Lord's brother. Paul, an apostle. Both of them filled with the Holy Spirit. They're examining these people who are trotting around with their own idea of how they get to be righteous and they evangelize their unrighteousness. These are blind people. Verse 16, it says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own passions, loud mouth boasters, flattering people to gain advantage. Again, following their own passions, looking after themselves back in verse 12. Everyone, by the way, 
gaining advantage. You say, well, isn't that what capitalism made capitalism great? Everyone, the Lord's kingdom wants to gain advantage. Everything wants to gain advantage. But the question is, does it serve righteousness or does it not serve righteousness? The Lord has all sorts of breadth of of enjoyments we can have in this life and distinctions of choices. Let welcome the weaker brother, but not for disputes over opinions, for heaven's sake. You don't you don't uh, turn this into an excuse to lean into people aggressively. So when I when I'm asking you first as a believer, one, are you that person? Are you the blemish? Check that, fix it. Serve God's righteousness. If you are not the blemish, do you have this viewpoint of people that are, who resist the righteousness of God to this extent? That you could actually say, at least to someone, somewhere, somehow, some old lady that you picked up on the street and realized that she's a child of the devil. Are you able to look at them intently and inform them? Say, so I don't like where this is going. Now, this church is supposed to be a little cooler than that. But occasionally... You know what happens when people who lean on you for unity, ecumenicism, and find that within 10 years your lesbian bishop is uh, pronouncing gay marriage is valid in your church. You don't think that happened just sort of accidentally. Until, and it's filled, in some cases, many Christians in that situation who don't know which wind is up anymore because they thought they were forced to have unity. Well, you are supposed to have unity of mind and humility of spirit and get along with the other believers that are what believers ought to be. Serving Jesus Christ as Lord and righteous. That's why you have nothing to do with somebody who denies Jesus Christ as Lord and who is not righteous in terms of fellowship. We're not recommending you becoming Walter Martin. You know, see, have you ever met the King James only? I don't know if any of you are King James only. I see that hand. Um, I don't mind if you like the King James. I like the King James. But there's kind of people who are rock-ribbed, KJV only, good enough for St. Paul, good enough for me. All orthodoxy about all things. Well, there isn't an orthodoxy about all things. One of the big orthodoxies we should have as Christians is how humble you should be. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. That's the mind we should have. So that would be a real benefit to the saints having unity across church lines, across doctrinal lines, across personal practice lines. You know, one man esteems one day above the next. But if a man does not esteem the righteousness of God, if a man does not esteem the deity of Jesus Christ, they are serving themselves looking after themselves. They're going to follow their own passions. If you do not follow someone else's authority, what are you using for an inertial force? Your own passions. Your own ideas. And then you're going to try to gain advantage. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Have you noticed that in verse 12, looking after themselves, Verse 13, 
Oh, excuse me, verse 16, following their own passions. Verse 18, following their own ungodly passion. Part of the theme. That's what the devil's about. That's what Elemus the magician is about. That's what so many people are about. And they want to write their own blank check to their sins. And if God gets involved, once God gets involved, he starts saying things. Once you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, he has revealed himself. He has said what he thinks is good. But when we say, well, heaven, you've made a great case for becoming that, you know, cult-busting, out-there apologeticing, defeating those who would raise up with some timid Christian in the back row going, but I thought it was okay to wear shorts to church. No, it's not! You know, whatever the... Uh, did anybody wear shorts this morning? Oh, good for you. William, all right. I see that hand. We're not, we say, well, Evan, you, you've made a case for being that hard-nosed. Or, no, remember, it's about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not your fashion choice. It's about who Jesus Christ is and that you are not Jesus Christ. So when I say that you don't do that, there's something in this scripture itself that lets you know that. These are people out there that are setting up divisions, verse 19, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So what does the people, people full of the Spirit, full of God's righteousness, are we supposed to, you know, you know, strip down to our muscle shirts and go after them? Kind of get all Paul about it, calling them sons of the devil, get their placards and, and march in front of, you know, some place that we don't like with signs. Look at what it tells you to do. Verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Oh, there you go. It's amazing how it isn't the conflict this is, not, this is drawing a line, but it is not saying it is the ordinate place of Christian conflict. The place you're supposed to be at is working, working with your understanding of the faith. Your communion with God and the Holy Spirit in prayer. Being in the love of God and waiting. Your blessed hope. Your faith, love, and hope. You're supposed to be thinking about what your salvation has done for you. Because our righteousness is there to make us righteous. Our belief in righteousness is not just so that we can call names at the sons of the devil out there. And our team believes in righteousness, their team doesn't. Our team is about righteousness. Which means that we're a little bit more involved in righteousness than we are in combating those who advocate unrighteousness. Especially since you really can't. They're just going to go blind. Then end up in a dark place. You've got stuff to do that's going to improve your life. Improve your life. You've got stuff that in service to God is to make you something else. Become that something else as your ordinate value. That you have this opinion of those who serve wickedness. is not a problem as long as you don't place it as your duty. This is my calling. This is my ministry. 
Sometimes it's going to be, look at verse 22, and convince some who doubt, and save some by snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Sometimes, in some ways, you get to lean into this issue, like I got to do this morning. Jude did it, Paul did it, and sometimes they were doing it, but they were primarily preaching the righteousness of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins by faith in him. Sometimes you have, and you, this should be your viewpoint. You might say, yeah, I'm not about this all the time. I'm not going out and punching the enemy, the sons of the devil in the nose. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, um, preaching Jesus Christ. But sometimes the sons of the devil show up on my doorstep with little name tags. Say, elder so-and-so. We're in a different state. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. That is the best benediction in the scriptures. There's a lot of good ones. That's the best one. But look at what it's about. When we're protecting against the sons of the devil, we're protecting who Christ, the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority of our Lord in Christ. Keeping us from blemish. We're not just in this for a fist fight with people who don't agree with us. If you want to be here, just like the pro-council, the man of intelligence, you need to stop and say, have I summoned, have I sought the apostle? Barnabas and Paul had come to town, and someone with intelligence sought them. If you want to be after the righteous and after the Christ, Look to the apostles, look to their teaching in the scriptures. Become a student of that. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your goodness in your son. We'd ask that we'd be aware and hold a strong view of those who tried to lead people away from your son into wickedness, that we would understand that the word wickedness has a meaning enemies of righteousness, sons of the devil. We know they're there, Lord, but keep us from becoming wrapped up in that and more wrapped up in the righteousness of your Son and in his glory. And in his name we pray. Amen.